Welcome to the Mariners Cast, presented to you by Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It is October 9th, 2023. It is Monday. It's been about a week since I've done a Mariners cast. Needed to let the uh, disappointment and uh, energy of the Mariners not reaching the playoffs kind of dissipate before I think I was ready to look at some of this stuff more objectively. Um, there was certainly disappointment on my end. A couple of things did happen with the Mariners over the course of the last week or so. On today's Mariners cast, we will address uh, the comments and subsequent apology by General Manager Jerry Depoto about uh, this past season. We will run down one by one the uh, proposed salaries for these uh, arbitration-eligible Mariners. There are eight of them. Um, these salaries were proposed by Major League uh, Baseball trade rumors. Uh, trade rumors tends to be pretty accurate with stuff like this. Uh, we will go down the, the eight Mariners on the list, talk about whether uh, the Mar- Mariners should keep those particular players uh, at that salary and why or why not. And then uh, we will start our uh, positional grades for the 2023 season. We will start at catcher. I will do a deep dive into both Cal Raleigh and Tom Murphy and give them a grade. So let's get started. Uh, Last week when the season ended, uh, general manager Jerry DePoto addressed the media talked about this disappointment Um, in this press conference. He said that the Mariners tried to win 54% of their games. And uh, over the course of multiple years, if you're able to win 54% of your games, chances are you are a playoff team and a championship caliber team. This did not land well with Mariners fans. Uh, The, I think every fan base wants to hear their GM say, I want to win a championship. It's championship or bust. Uh, Having a number like 54% presented to them both didn't compute and I think landed really, really poorly with the fan base. Uh, He had some other comments within this press conference that, that were generally not accepted. Um, he was kind of trying to tell Mariners fans, I think, how to feel and how to think. Uh, it came across as condescending and um, a bit out of touch. Uh, when he apologized later on in the week, uh, he said that he did a poor job in using the 54% comment and that he completely whiffed. He said that their goal is not to be mediocre, that the goal is to win championships, and that he wishes he could reset his comments or have that press conference back. Uh, again, lots of negative response, um, to it both online and, uh, and amongst Mariners fans. I, for one, uh, didn't care. I, if you listen to the Mariners cast, you probably realize by now that I'm a fan of, uh, this Mariners front office. Um, I don't mind the ownership group in the same way others do. Uh, I don't. I'm not a huge proponent of spending big on free agents. I think lasting um, competitive teams are built through the farm system, international free agent market, uh, 
improving on the margins and then signing impact players uh, when it's time and when it, uh, it's the appropriate time. And so this has been pretty much the Jerry DePoto regime's uh, approach. Uh, Pre-Jerry DePoto, I believed in this in this uh, method of building uh, a team or a roster. So what I'm getting to is a couple of points. First point is most executives, meaning owners, executives, even GMs, they make a tremendous amount of money. They live a very different life than your average sports fan and over time become unable to really relate to the average person. And to be honest with you, I don't blame them. They live a different life. They live in a different neighborhood. Um, they have different stresses on their day-to-day, right? If you're making millions of dollars, you're not worried about the same things I am or probably most Mariners fans. And so the fact that he was out of touch with whether his 54% comment would actually land doesn't surprise me. Those guys work in numbers. They work in essentially a think tank of baseball folks. And so 54% means a big deal to him. Um, And I don't know that the Mariners ownership is there to hold him accountable to connecting with fans. I think best case scenario is that your GM, your president, your owner, all can relate to your average fan, but most don't and most can't especially as the value of sports franchises continues to increase um, at the, at the rate that they are. You're just, people get paid too much money. They live different lives. Right. And I think it's okay to accept that. And it's okay to say that Jerry DePoto is out of touch in my mind. Well, let, let me rewind. So here are a couple of examples of, executives or owners that are out of touch. Howard Schultz owned the Sonics. He was the CEO of uh, Starbucks. I worked for him um, for quite a while years ago uh, within operations, but worked for Howard Schultz and had interactions with him. He, for all intents and purposes, is a very good human who tries to do right by people and I think is often misunderstood. And I always attributed the misunderstanding to just being so wealthy and so removed from regular society that he didn't understand, didn't make him a bad person. He just didn't understand because he hadn't been amongst the people that he's trying to impact. And so what he said was when he sold the Sonics, which basically made him a pariah in his own town where he has created a you know, tons of jobs through Starbucks. Howard Schultz quote was, I tried to sell it to a local person in Seattle. No one wanted to buy it. Schultz said after after buying the Sonics, he quickly came to realize the culture clashed with his own values. And he said, despite his love for sports, he would never want to own a professional team again. And so when he sold the Sonics, because of a uh, basically a terrible lease agreement with the arena. And he sold it to an Oklahoma group 
who made their money with oil, he again he became a became a pariah and was not accepted within the Seattle community in the way that he had prior. And I just think he's an example of someone who was out of touch. And maybe he did try to sell it to someone local, but selling it to someone local wasn't a priority enough for him to give up a dollar in order to make it happen, right? And in the end, it's still a business. But when he said that, that he tried to sell it to somebody local and nobody wanted to buy it, everyone was like, what the hell? Right. There's so much money in this town between Starbucks and Nordstrom, who used to own the Seahawks and Microsoft and, you know, Amazon and on and on. Of course, there was someone there who wanted to buy it. They just didn't meet the number that he was looking for. So that quote landed really poorly. And I think it landed poorly in part because Howard Schultz was out of touch. Phil Castellini owner of the Reds, well, son of the owner of the Reds, had a famous quote a couple years ago on opening day when people were questioning him about, you know, the Reds and if the Reds are going to compete and if the Reds are going to spend money. And he said, quote, where are you going to go? Sell the team to who? Because people were asking him to sell the team or demanding that he sell the team. What would you do with this team? Or what would you do with this team to compete more in the current economic system? it would be to pick it up and move it somewhere else. So be careful what you wish for. Basically on this celebratory day, opening day, Cincinnati Reds, he basically said, I'm not spending any money. This economic system is is garbage for smaller market teams. And the thing that you would do, and it sounds like the thing that he would do if he could, would be to pick up the Reds and move it to a place where it was more, um, in his mind, financially or economically viable. So be careful what you wish for, which is an open threat, right? Now, if this owner had any clue as to how this quote would impact his ticket sales, his fan base, I'm guessing he wouldn't say it. Uh, maybe he's so arrogant that he would still say it. But the reality is this was a horrible comment to make. You never talk to your fan base this way. I talk about Howard Schultz and Phil Castellini because I think these guys are just out of touch. And I know that Jerry DePoto is a general manager, but he also previously, you know, was a relief pitcher. He's been in baseball in this bubble for his, basically his adult life. And so the fact that he said some things that came across as out of touch or landed poorly just doesn't surprise me. And what this brings me to is, and I wrote this in my notes for the, today's Mariners cast, that I could care less about what he says and how he says it. I don't care. I want the Mariners to win a championship. And so, and that's his job. His job is not to be a good guy. His job is not to be a wonderful public face that says everything that everybody wants him to say, right? Maybe part of his job is to be a conduit between ownership and fans. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I could care less. I equate it to... When uh, in the 90s, during the Clinton administration, you know, people were wanting to impeach Bill Clinton for his relationship with Monica Lewinsky. And my comment was always I, I, that I didn't care what he did with the rest of his life if 
he did a great job as the president of the United States. That's his job. I don't want someone telling me how to live my life. I don't want my employer telling me how I should, the decisions that I should make outside of work. And I think with Jerry DePoto, there are some people who are going to want him to be that face, right? They want him to say the right thing. They want him to be that face. I'm just not one of those people. I don't care. I want him to build a championship caliber roster. That is the only thing I care about with regards to Jerry DePoto. And I challenge fans to care less about what he says and more about what he does, right? And if you look at it objectively and you stop thinking like Dave Softy Mahler and thinking that they just need to splash money everywhere to win, and you start thinking about the type of roster he's built and the type of minor league system that the Mariners have and the type of sustainable success they potentially have and how enviable their pitching staff is, in the fact that they have one of the top maybe three young players in baseball and a top five player in baseball in Julio Rodriguez, he can do whatever the heck he wants at a press conference and he can do whatever the heck he wants in his personal life. I don't care. I love where this team is at. All right, so moving on, Mariners have eight players eligible for arbitration. Uh, Ty France, Luis Torrens, Trent Thornton, Josh Rojas, Sam Haggerty, Justin Topa, Mike Ford, and Logan Gilbert. We're going to take these one by one and uh, discuss them, some more than others. Luis Torrens is, is the projected salary is $1.3 million. Torrens, for me, is a no. The Mariners barely, you know, basically took him off the, the scrap heap at the end of the year after Tom Murphy's injury was deemed season-ending. I think that's a no-brainer. You can find a right-handed hitting backup catcher pretty darn e- replaceable level pretty darn easily um, in baseball. Trent Thornton slated to get $1.4 million in arbitration. Thornton, for me, was also a no. This is probably the most difficult decision with Seattle after being acquired from Toronto. He was 1-2 and two with a 2.08 ERA and a 1.08 whip. 26 innings, 23 hits, 5 walks, 21 strikeouts. Uh, he was much better against righties, 209 with a 343 slug than he was against lefties. He had the 3,000 RPM uh, spin sweeper, about a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. Uh, I think he is decent. I think he should be in the back end of a major league bullpen. Um, for me, he's fungible within this organization. I think that you can replace Thornton with Prelander Baroa or Ty Adcock or someone like that and get the same level of effectiveness and have six years of control. So Thornton for me is a no. Josh Rojas is next at $3.5 million. If you asked me when they traded for him, I would have said no. At this point, I think he's a yes. With Seattle, he hit 262, 321 with a 400 slug. That's a 721 OPS. In 134 plate appearances, he did have four homers, six steals. He ran a 330 Babbitt, which is a bit high. Um, So I think his average is a little bit of fool's gold. But he hit more fly balls than he's ever hit. And he hit more. He pulled the ball more than he's ever pulled it with Seattle. Uh, The big plus with him is his outs above average. He had six outs above average, which ranked him in the 91st percentile. So he is a very good defensive second baseman. He's not very fast, 35th percentile speed. 
but he's a player who I think if he is the, I would love to see an upgrade. If he is a strong side platoon, second baseman for the Mariners going into next year, at least before they feel comfortable with Ryan Bliss, um, I'm okay with that. If you're trying to save money, um, I think you could see Bliss starting at second and Rojas as the strong side platoon utility player, which would not bother me. He would be able to play second, short, and third and corner outfield um, and just kind of spot various players. That wouldn't bother me. Uh, $3.5 million is not much in the grand scheme of things. I do think the Mariners think about that, though. Uh, Sam Haggerty is a, another fungible player. I think Haggerty, Dylan Moore, again, Ryan Bliss, Josh Rojas, Jose Caballero, all of these players fit in the same bucket. It's more a matter of how you want to utilize your spots on the 40-man and how you want to kind of mix these players together. So I think Haggerty is probably a yes. Um, he hits lefties better than righties. Unless you have a need on the 40-man for a player like Ryan Bliss, then he becomes a no. Uh, I'm kind of on the fence with Haggerty as of right now. If you don't have an upgrade, it's not the worst thing in the world to have him on your 40-man. Uh, Justin Topa. He's a yes. He was a revelation this season. He's due a million and a half in arbitration, according to MLB trade rumors. He was five and four with the two six one, one one four whip. Uh, he gave the Mariners a lot of good relief innings. He is a sinker slider type of guy, um, which is a good contrast to Matt Brash and uh, and Andres Munoz. Uh, I like Topa. I think he's best kind of in the seventh inning role. Um, but $1.5 million is not a lot to pay for a very effective seventh inning relief pitcher. And uh, as long as he is sim performed similar to this year, uh, I like him. He is 32 years old. I think you get him for one or, one or two more years. Mike Ford, $1.5 million due. Uh, Ford triple slash was 228, 323, 475 this season. He had some big home runs for the Mariners. 16 home runs in 251 plate appearances, about a 10% walk rate, 32% K rate. He is a three true outcome type of hitter. He is a dead red fastball hitter, uh, left-handed. For me, it's a no. It's not the salary as much as it is. Um, I don't want repetitive type players on this team in 24. And I think he and although Canzone is a different type of hitter, they are both left-handed hitters who will probably slot in at first base some of the time. And so I think that having in a best, best case scenario is to have one of the type of role that Ford and Canzone play. Um, obviously the Mariners are keeping Canzone because he's younger. He has more projectable upside and he is cost controlled. So I'm saying no to Ford, not because I didn't think that he produced last season as much as it is. I think Canzone is the right choice. and But I could see the Mariners bringing Ford back on a minor league deal. If he doesn't get a major league deal, I assume he will get a major league deal from someone based on those numbers. Logan Gilbert, $4.9 million is the projected salary. Uh, for arbitration, that is obviously a no-brainer. That's a huge screaming deal for the Mariners. And then the last one is Ty France. So this is the big one to me. $7.2 million due, according to MLB trade rumors. 
He's 29 years old. This season, triple slash of 250, 337 on base percentage, 366 slug for a 703 OPS from your first baseman. Uh, uh, of that 337 on base percentage, 34 hit by pitch, 43 walks. I believe he led the league in hit by pitch. 12 homers and 665 plate appearances. Uh, in 22, he hit 274. He had 20 home runs. In 21, he hit 291 with 18 home runs. Those numbers are a bit more palatable for me. I think if he produced like he did in 22 or 21, we wouldn't be having the same conversation. I would say, I don't love him. I'll take him. Uh, but you need to surround him with really good players. After last season, I don't know if he was injured, but he basically tried to hit, it looks like he tried to hit more homers and tried to pull the ball a little bit more. So he pulled the ball a little bit more. He hit more fly balls last season. And so his average went down, but because he doesn't impact the ball very well, and he doesn't hit it very hard. Average exit velocity, 18th percentile. Barrel, 34th percentile. Hard hit, 35th percentile. He's just hitting fly balls. He chases almost 5% more than league average. His chase contact is about 3% less than league average. So he chases more. He makes less contact. He does make tremendous contact in the zone at 89.1%. But he just doesn't impact the ball very much. So you've got this hitter. That swings all the time, but doesn't hit the ball very hard and doesn't hit it in the right place. At least that's what he did this year. 104 WRC plus, 107 WRC plus is the average at first base. All the, and then his outs above average, 35th percentile, speed, 7th percentile. So not athletic, doesn't hit the ball very hard, hits it often when it's a strike, chases too much. Doesn't take walks on base percentage built on hit by pitch. 29 years old. So post peak, basically. Now, $7.2 million doesn't sound like a tremendous amount of money to the Mariners and the way they manage their roster. It actually is. Uh, for me, ultimately, Ty France is a no. I would not offer him arbitration. I think that. There are tremendous replacements in free agency. The names that I wouldn't mind seeing instead of him. Uh, Josh Bell had a very good stint with the Miami Marlins at the end of the year. Um, I think he's more talented than Ty France. I don't love him as a first baseman. Uh, Max Muncy is a free agent with the Dodgers. I expect him to re-sign. Mark Kana was... Traded from the Mets to the Brewers, finished the season very well. I don't think he's much of an upgrade. Reese Hoskins is a free agent with the Phillies. If Reese Hoskins is the Reese Hoskins of old, again, he goes back to that three true outcome type of player, but he is a 30 home run hitter. I don't see the Mariners signing him mostly because they're trying to get more contact into this lineup and Hoskins would not be that. Joey Gallo certainly wouldn't be that. Brandon Belt's old with Toronto. CJ Cron wasn't good outside of Colorado. Carlos Santana is more of a mascot than he is a player. Matt Carpenter's old. G-Man Choi, Garrett Cooper, right? There's not a whole lot on the free agent market. So 
if the Mariners were to non-tender Ty France and make him a free agent, I could see a situation where it's Dominic Canzone or Ty France and or Ty, or excuse me, Dominic Canzone and or Mike Ford as the strong side platoon first baseman. And maybe the Mariners bring up a Tyler Locklear. Maybe it's halfway through the season. Tyler Locklear is 22 years old, 6'1", 210, right-handed hitter, plays third and first base currently. He was a second-round pick by the Mariners in 22 out of uh, Virginia Commonwealth. He played in rookie ball high A and double A last year. He had 13 home runs and 309 at-bats, hit two eighty eight with the 907 OPS. Um, if they were trying to allocate money to say a big corner outfield bat and they wanted to keep payroll in a similar place, I could see Locklear being on this team with Canzone. Um, they would probably start the year with a free agent, a lower level Garrett Cooper type of right-handed bat as a free agent, and then want Locklear to come up a little bit later. So I know that's not sexy. I know that doesn't sound like fun, but to me, Ty France is just not – he was never good enough to be a championship first baseman, and this year was the worst year for him as a full-season Mariner. Uh, that decline, you cannot stomach. If you offer him arbitration and he gets $7 million and his first two months out of the gate is the same as last year, now you're stuck because you're paying that salary and you're probably cutting him loose. Or at minimum, he's short side platoon first baseman. So Ty France for me is a no. I would want that salary allocated to reallocated to a uh, DH or an outfielder. Um, we'll see what they do. I don't love any of the free agents that are on the market. I do think Tyler Locklear is going to become a viable option for the Mariners as a right-handed hitting first baseman. So to close out the Mariners cast for today. I gave out catcher grades. Uh, Cal Raleigh got an A from me. Cal Raleigh's 26. I think this may have been his peak year. I know it sounds silly because he hasn't been up with the team very long, but he's 26. He's 6'3", 225. It's not easy for a catcher to go up and down at that position physically. Uh, his... Strikeout rate was lower than last year. He made better contact. Um, his swinging strike rate was the lowest of his career. There are a lot of things that lined up with this being his physical peak. Uh, he hit 232, 306, 456 with the 762 OPS. He hit 30 home runs this season. And weighted runs created was 11% better than league average at 111. His arbitration starts in 25. He's a free agent in 28. He walked at a 9.5% walk rate, struck out 27.8% of the time, which is 19th percentile in baseball. So he struck out a lot. He struck out a lot. He hit 30 home runs. Um, he pulled a ton of fly balls, 48.6% fly ball rate, which is very high, 51.1% pull rate, which is also very high. He's better against righties, but the big thing to me, on top of the offense, is that he was in the 87th percentile for caught stealing above average. He was in the 85th percentile for framing. 
and 55th percentile for pop time. So an elite defensive catcher on top of the 30 home runs. Um, Fangraph's war 4.7, which ranked him second amongst AL catchers and third in all of baseball for catcher's Fangraph war. And he was third on the Mariners behind uh, J.P. Crawford and Julio Rodriguez. So low average, big power, takes walks, also strikes out a lot. Three true outcome type of catcher. Hits, pull fly balls. He barrels the ball. And he's a great defensive catcher, at least according to the baseball savant metrics. He requires a backup catcher like a Tom Murphy who will hit left-handed pitching. But Cal Raleigh was as good as as you could ever ask for at the catcher position last season. He gets an A from me. Um, I think the Mariners would be lucky to get any more seasons like he had this season, given the physicality of the position um, and his age. Tom Murphy, his backup, gets a B. He is a poor defensive catcher, but offensively, he's the perfect sidekick to Cal Raleigh. He is a free agent heading into this season. He hits the ball very hard. He had eight homers and 159 plate appearances. A thumb sprain ended his season in August. He's never had more than 325 plate appearances in a major league season, which is interesting. Uh, but he's a team leader, and he's a good clubhouse presence. He had 290 with an 873 OPS this season. Again, the eight home runs and 159 plate appearances. He doesn't walk much. He does strike out. Uh, but he hits the ball hard, and uh, he, again, offensively is the perfect complement to Cal Raleigh. So if the Mariners can re-sign him to a, you know, a kind of league average backup catcher type of contract, he'll probably demand a little more. But if you can get him on a contract for a couple of years at a lower AAV then I think it's good. He's 32 years old, so you probably have maybe two, three more years of effectiveness from him. But Tom Murphy and Cal Raleigh together makes a very good, specifically offensively, a very good catcher combo. And I would be more than happy to see the two of them return as the Mariners catchers for 2024. Uh, so that's it. I will be back on Friday. I will do the first base grades. You already know how I feel about Ty France. Uh, any other Mariners news that comes down the pipe? Uh, before Friday, I will speak on as well. Thank you for listening to today's Mariners cast. Again, we are presented by Sports Ethos. You can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior 20. That is T I N O J R 20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E T H O S M A R I N E R S. Take care, y'all. Enjoy the week. Peace.